Hey, it's Joel here. Now, season one of Some of All Parts has come to an end, but I've been keeping busy producing a story with the science journalist and broadcaster extraordinaire Natasha Mitchell for her show, Science Friction. Science Friction is a podcast that's set at the intersection between science and culture. It's just coming to the end of its third season. So there's all of these compelling stories sitting there right now waiting for you to listen. So if you're not subscribed and Seriously, if you're not subscribed, I'm kind of jealous because you get to go and listen to all of these amazing stories for the first time. But if you're not, go to wherever you get your podcasts, search for Science Friction, that's friction with an R, friction, and get listening. But for now, just to give you a taste of what you could expect from the show, here's a story I produced. It's called A Tale of Two Drugs. There is a golden moment at the start where everything's working. Like it was the sickest idea ever. Hey, Natasha Mitchell here for Science Friction and a language and an explicit content warning right up the top for today's show, which might come as no surprise because we are talking drugs. Wait a minute, I thought we were taking drugs. Hey, (laughs) what's on your agenda? It's producer Joel Werner from the Sum of All Parts podcast. He is steering the ship today. Hey, Joel. Hey, Natasha. That's right. Today's show is all about drugs. It's about our relationship with them and how we use them to try and enhance our lives, to make ourselves better than the selves we are without them. The story starts with this guy and his experience. The first time I took it, I was 19. I was just like... He didn't want us to use his real name, so we're going to call him Sam. So Sam had gone out partying at what was once one of Sydney's premier night spots. I just remember I was drinking around Oxford Street and... For some reason, I thought to myself, well, I want to try and find something harder. Something harder like ice or methamphetamine. So I went out to try and find it, and I did find it, and I liked it. But, you know, I was young at this point. I was 19. I definitely didn't have the maturity that I had, say, when I started taking it full time. (laughs) Started taking it full time. Started taking it every day. Sam's full-time meth use was still a few years away. I didn't have the maturity or, I guess, the income enabled to do that, so my searching for that drug was quite destructive throughout 19 and 20 because I would do stupid shit to get the money to get it. So that was the first time that I went to rehab when I was 20 to kind of sort that out. And I did and didn't use it again for like another four years. In this break between his first encounter with meth and what came later, Sam straightened up. After he got out of rehab, he focused on developing his skills as a videographer. And before long, the work started pouring in. I think it was like 2013 I started to get very, very busy. I, I found myself like earning a, like a decent income, like one to be fairly proud of for somebody who was 23 years old. However, due to, I guess, other parts of my personality, and I think, I think wanting to get more done, I started to you know, turn to drugs in order to get more done. And that's where I turned to crystal meth. The decision to combine ice use again with my work was not something that just slipped. It was just like the first time I searched for it. It's because that's what I wanted to do. It's like, nah, I'm going for it. It totally was my own doing. 
So when I found somebody who could provide it for me, you know, I had this income where I could use it daily. It just all made sense in my stupid f***ing head. Okay, so there's no doubt that Sam's previous encounter with meth played into his decision to start using it again to work longer hours, but it was something more than that as well. Just like outside of work stuff, just when it comes to personal stuff, I've always had a bit of an issue with, with substance abuse and with alcohol and stuff like that. The more that I got a taste for drugs when I was growing up, the more, you know, I'd, I'd do it with friends and then I'd slowly but surely prefer to do it on my own. And that's everything. There's not one exception to that. People would use it to enhance time together with people that they cared about. My reaction to using drugs or drinking was that I immediately wanted to isolate myself. And his desire to isolate himself was just made even more intense by the particular drug he chose to isolate himself with. Ice was definitely the one that really connected that want for isolation. It was harder with everything else. Ice was easy because it's very antisocial and it's not... It's not really accepted. I have no friends that have ever really, you know, been into it. Sure, maybe they've experimented with it once or twice, but none of my mates take it, essentially. And I think that's where the using a meth and work works so well for me. And for a while, at least in a way, it did kind of work. With drugs like this, and I think that people that have used ice or cocaine or any kind of stimulant a similar way that I have before. I reckon everybody will agree that there is a golden moment at the start where everything's working. Like, it was the sickest idea ever. This is perfect. Why didn't I think of this before? And it was like that. There was a point in time where it was absolutely perfect. That lasted for about three months. Sam was a fresh face in the filmmaking game, and during those three months, he was getting more and more work, but also taking more and more ice to get it done. And because he was doing all this in isolation, this secret, it remained a secret. I've always worked in my bedroom wherever I'm renting, you know. I'm not in an office, nobody can really tell. Just, you know, I clean myself up if I have to show myself publicly and then I'm, you know, I can be in whatever kind of state I want to be in. And yeah, I guess after a while, it worked. It really worked. Like things that would take me two days took me six hours because I was just so focused. But by the end of what felt like a golden stretch for Sam, his work started getting sloppier and his drug use, it just ramped up. After those three months, things got a little bit trickier because how much I wanted to use it grew. You know, I think I would usually start on a Thursday and end on a Sunday. And then it just got to the point where it was every day and the sort of my sleeping patterns got to this point where I would be awake. I would be awake for 72 hours and then I'd sleep for 24 hours. Awake for 72, sleep for 24. Maybe if, like, a batch that I got was much better, maybe make that more than 72. This shift in intensity in Sam's drug use was reflected brightest in the mundane and ordinary. And usually, you know, if I didn't have a tiny little bit before I woke up, just to perk myself up, it's almost like coffee, like, you know, a coffee's amount of meth, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. And that's when it, like, really starts, you know going downhill, like, you know, when you need it to get out of bed. Even though Sam knew that his drug use was getting out of control, he didn't stop. A year and a half. I used daily for a year and a half. That's the longest stint I've ever had. And it was f***ed by, like, six months to eight months in. Like, it was really bad. If taking meth to get out of bed in the morning was an early warning sign, then what his friends and family had to say, this was the red alert. 
people started to say to me, what are you doing? This isn't cool. And you got the choice of, you know, taking it on board and doing something about it or, you know, denial. And I just chose denial for quite a long time. Okay, so remember, throughout all of this, Sam's working. He's working a lot. After all, that's the whole justification for him using meth in the first place. Then I got more delirious and more cocky and thought that I could, you know, rock up for really good jobs. And these were jobs that were a step up from what I'd been doing. And I rocked up to a lot of work high. I took on a contract work, which I went around Australia, went to all capital cities and I took meth on the plane. Like I needed it. If I didn't get my timing right, I'd have to sneak it through. You know, I started doing really dumb shit. Sam was taking some huge risks, but they just weren't paying off. I'd kind of fucked up there. I'd ruined that contract by, you know, trying to fit in too many things in one place. And I missed a flight to one of those jobs because I was coming back from another one, a flight somewhere else. I was trying to fit all of these things and there was a delay. And, you know, it was just poor time management. You know, it's like I completely ruined it. So that fucked up. But it wasn't on the road and it wasn't to do with work. It all came crashing down for Sam at home. I had this sort of crazy episode at my my house where I was convinced that if I was to leave the house, I would hurt somebody. I was like trying to be a responsible meth head in a way where like, yeah, okay, if I leave the house, I'm probably going to do something f***ed. So I better lock myself in the house. But if I lock myself in my room, I'm probably going to hurt myself with something in this room. So I better get everything out of the room. So then I start throwing stuff outside out of the window and starts throwing, you know, all the big stuff down the stairs. Roommates come back home and they're like, what the f*** is going on? Like, you know, there's shit all around the house. By the time that they had gotten back, I sort of had decided that the whole idea was f***ing stupid. So I, you know, like kicked the door in to let myself out. And, you know, it's just mental. And yeah, that was when it really came to a head because it was just scary. It's just very unlike me. But beyond work and friendships, beyond social responsibility, in the end, Sam's wake-up call was personal. It was physical. He just hit a wall. The massive thing, the biggest thing, is honestly just being exhausted. I remember that, just like totally surrendering and just going, you know what, this is f***ed, I've got to sort myself out. Because I do remember from the start, I thought to myself, let's see how far I can take this. So, you know, there comes the time where you've got to go, okay, cool, I've taken this as far as I can give up now. I don't want to do this anymore. I specifically remember those two emotions at the start and at the end. The start going, let's see how far I can do this because I have the means to, to, yeah, okay, cool, I'm out. (laughs) I'm out now. So at 24, for the second time in his life, Sam went into rehab. Yeah, I went in May 2015 and, you know, it really, it really helped me. But it took a while to have an effect. You know, I had my big, like, six-month, I've completely changed as a person. I didn't drink, didn't do anything, got into fucking yoga, like, all of this kind of stuff. Like, you know, got into fucking mindfulness and all of that. Like, totally tried to do different stuff. And midway through last year, I had a relapse for about two months. But same thing, I went back in again. And this was the pattern that Sam fell into for a while. Six months clean and then, you know, little relapse and then, you know... Four months clean, bit of a longer relapse, and I was introduced to modafinil when I went to rehab September last year. Modafinil. This is the drug. Modafinil, not meth. Modafinil's the drug that I want to talk about today. Although it wasn't the first drug that Sam got prescribed in rehab. I had prescribed to me Seracol, and that was just to sort of help me sleep. Yeah, just sleep, just catch up on lost sleep, a lot of lost sleep. 
Sam owed the sleep debt of a man who'd been addicted to methamphetamine for years. So they prescribed him Seroquel, which is an antipsychotic, but it's sometimes used as a sedative. But the Seroquel worked too well, and so a nurse prescribed him modafinil to just help him get out of bed in the morning. You know, that's my exposure to it, was just this one guy suggesting it and me going, well, fuck it, when in Rome, I might as well give it a go, like, you know. So I did, and yeah, first just to get out of bed and feel like I'm awake and feel like I'm normal. And then after that, like sort of adding it into a healthy routine. Okay, Joel, modafinil this week's wonder drug, mystery drug or perfect drug or what? I don't know. I had no idea. And so I went and caught up with three people who know this drug better than most people in the world just to figure out what's going on. Okay, so this is where science friction is taking you now. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Brennan, um, how are you? I'm fine. So I'm just getting some more instructions, I think. Um, a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So my name is Anna-Catherine Brehm. I am head of neuropsychology and staff researcher at the Max Planck Institute of Psychiatry in Munich, Germany, and a visiting faculty at the Berenson Allen Center for Non-Invasive Brain Stimulation uh, at Harvard Medical School. Good evening, Professor Singh. How are you? It's uh, Joel from the Australian Broadcasting I'm Eleanor Singh and I'm Professor of Neuroscience and Society at the University of Oxford. <laughs> and of course, we're all very interested in the cricket and how that's turning out. So. <laughs> I'm Professor Barbara Sahaki and I'm based at the University of Cambridge School of Clinical Medicine in the Department of Psychiatry. These three will be our guides to understanding this drug modafinil and what it does to the brain. So modafinil is a neuroenhancer. Which is a fancy way of saying it makes your brain work better. Yes, so modafinil was first marketed in France in the 1990s and it was marketed as a treatment for narcolepsy. So it promotes wakefulness. I mean, we've been treating narcolepsy with stimulants for a long time, since the 50s, in fact. And they weren't great because they were overstimulating people who then needed to be sedated in order to get back to sleep, even if they had narcolepsy problems. So modafinil seems to be a better solution. But how modafinil works, what it's actually doing to the brain, it's still a bit of a mystery. It was one of those drugs where people weren't quite sure why it worked but it seemed to be doing what it was meant to do. While we know that modafinil acts on most major chemicals in the brain, and we do have some idea of its impact on different regions, we don't know exactly how it works. The best idea we have is that by directly altering the concentration of a group of chemicals in the brain, so-called catecholamines, modafinil kind of upregulates activity in certain networks in the brain, networks that are important for certain cognitive functions. So if you're someone who has narcolepsy or a similar sleep disorder, then modafinil is really effective and it's better than the options that you had before modafinil. But it was when people without sleeping disorders started experimenting with the drug that it entered the mainstream. More recently, the uh, drug has been used by healthy people because it keeps people awake and alert. This is what's known as off-label use, taking a drug for reasons other than those it was originally intended for. 
they are synthesized, developed for a certain problem, for a certain issue. And it often happens that these drugs are then used for other purposes because people discover that they have other properties that they can use even in healthy functioning people. And in modafinil's case, it's to give healthy, non-narcoleptic people a brain power boost. Modafinil's a smart drug. In fact, in 2017, it's like the smart drug. People take it to combat jet lag, to be more productive at work, or just to give them an edge in an academic context. Sometimes they just take it to work for longer. And other people, surgeons, pilots, soldiers, they take it because they feel like they have to, because they couldn't do their jobs without some type of cognitive enhancement. Mm -hmm. I think that this off-label use that you're mentioning, it's quite considerable. A lot of people are actually using it in terms of the number of people using the drug. There have been several surveys, but we don't really have exact figures. And the reason it's hard to get exact figures is because of the nature of off-label use. So if you have a prescription for modafinil, you're fine. You just get it like you would any other drug. But you can't get a prescription for cognitive enhancement. So if you want to use the drug like a smart drug, you either have to do the dodgy and get it off someone who does have a prescription or get it off the grey market, which means buying it online. And there's not really any good way to capture that data. The best estimates put smart drug use generally anywhere between 5 and 25% of the population, which is quite a lot of people. But why? What does science have to say about what modafinil actually does? Rory Battleday and I were both interested in cognitive enhancement. In 2015, Dr Anna Catherine Brem and her colleague Rory Battleday published what's become like the research paper on modafinil. It's a systematic review of over 20 years' research into the drug's effect on people's brain power. So basically, we looked at all the published papers from the 90s to the end of 2014. And we were specifically interested in all the formal scientific research papers, so the ones that actually also used some sort of control in comparison with what modafinil actually does. And we specifically looked at papers that looked into cognitive enhancement in healthy people. So we excluded all the research papers on patient populations. And we ended basically with 24 studies that explored the effect of modafinil on cognitive subdomains such as attention, planning and decision-making, learning and memory, and creativity and intelligence. And they found pretty compelling evidence that modafinil is a legit smart drug. We found that modafinil intake improved decision-making and planning. And some studies also showed positive effects on fluid intelligence, which can be defined as the ability to cope with novel things, to think rapidly and flexibly, and to combine information independent of prior knowledge. And these are tasks that rather rely on higher cognitive functions. And this is the first overview of modafinil's actions in non-sleep-deprived individuals since 2008. And so we were able to include a lot of recent findings that had not been previously covered. Earlier research thought that modafinil more acts on a very basic level and increases arousal rather than having a top-down effect. But it seems that the top-down effect is what is driving the effects of modafinil. 
Okay, so the best science that's available to us right now suggests that modafinil, as well as helping you stay awake, also gives your brain power a genuine boost. But here's the weird thing about this drug, and it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable, because the drug doesn't just make you work better. It actually makes you feel better about working. It's interesting because in our studies we found that you had more pleasure and enjoyment in doing your task. So that's a really good thing because it kind of makes it like a work drug in a way. A work drug? Like, is that really a good thing? Anyway, during Sahakian's experiment, she always asked people to... You know, rate how enjoyable, how pleasurable it was to do that test. And the interesting thing was they rated doing the test under modafinil much, much more pleasurable than when they were on placebo. Which is in step with what do you hear about modafinil anecdotally. Students report, you know, I've been having trouble getting down to writing this long essay or some people at work say there's a, you know, an area of work that they don't like or, you know, people doing their tax returns or something which is rather <laughs> laborious and, and somewhat tedious. You know, it seems to make it easier to get motivated and stay within doing that task. And a lot of people report, you know, I've been putting off doing this, but, you know, when I take modafinil and I start doing it, I, I can get the task done and, you know, it's much easier and, you know, it's even enjoyable in some cases. Joel, is someone paying you to sell this drug? <laughs> I, f- I feel like you're really making this out to be some sort of perfect wonder drug. I've been digging. I've been digging for problems with modafinil. I mean, personally, I think the idea that a drug can make work seem more enjoyable People sell that as something good about the drug. I find that creepy. Like, I want to feel that work is hard and that it's tough to get through. Because, and that there's joy in that. Yeah, and then there's also joy in not working, you know. It's all about the light and shade. But, look, I think the big question that we haven't asked yet comes down to safety. And side effects. You right. cannot have a drug. You cannot tell me that there is not a drug without Side effects. Yes, I'm really glad you brought that up because the thing is we don't have any long-term safety and efficacy studies in healthy people. So I think this is a big concern. We don't have this information. We really need a study that looks at these drugs in the long term. So in the absence of these long-term safety studies, what do we know? We do know modafinil is approved for the treatment of sleep disorders. And we do know that there is reasonable evidence for safety in this group of people and the conditions tested in the patients. In the studies that we looked at, some of them looked at side effects and they showed very little overall effect, although a couple reported insomnia, headache, stomachache or nausea, which, however, were also reported in the placebo groups. I would like to emphasize that the studies that were included in our review took place in very controlled scientific environments and usually only examined effects after a single dose. And it is very critical that this assessment is extended. We really need more information on the effects, specifically the side effects of long-term use. And given the extensive unlicensed use of modafinil by people without sleep disorders, so healthy people and people who really don't need it, testing in more lifelike contexts is also critical. It is only once this is done that we can comment on the safety and the effectiveness of modafinil in real life use. You know, for me, one of the major safety concerns is that we don't actually know what 
is in the substances that people are getting off the internet. There isn't a way to test that. I'm worried about that, for one. I would much rather that modafinil were supplied through some kind of a legitimate supplier. At this point, a lot of people are using this drug that is not licensed for their use in healthy people, but licensed for the treatment of sleep disorders. And it will not be licensed for healthy people in the near future. But it means that because of a lot of healthy people using it and a large illegal market already exists, it becomes an ethical question that is very important to push forward and one that doesn't just concern scientists, but also politicians and the public that needs to be involved in it. One curious feature of this drug is that even though it's supposedly giving your brain this boost, a lot of the time people aren't even aware that they're on it. So in these experiments where they might get a sugar pill or get the drug, they don't know which one they've got. Because they can't actually feel feel it. Yeah, like it doesn't have the the high associated with traditional stimulants. And the weird thing is that this might be a factor that contributes to making the drug safer or at least less prone to abuse. One feature of modafinil which is very interesting is that it doesn't seem to have substance abuse potential. Some of the other drugs that are used for cognitive enhancing purposes, such as, you know, the stimulant drugs like Adderall, which is amphetamine salts, or methylphenidate, which is Ritalin, do have abuse potential. So it's very interesting from that point of view, and I think that's why it's one of the leader drugs for people who are healthy in terms of trying to get a a cognitive boost. So, back to Sam, everything we've just heard rings true with his experience as well. You know, I've been taking it for nearly a year now, for nearly as long as I've been sober. But the thing is, what's funny is that, let's just say with ice, you know, I'd take X amount of ice and then I'd stop feeling that for a while, so I'd take X times two. I don't have the same want with something like modafinil. I don't want to go there with it. And I don't know why that is. Like, I'm not a chemist, but, you know, there must be something to do with the drug that makes people not desire it, you know? I think probably the main thing is the fact that it doesn't get you high. And it's not just about the high. You know, after, like, a lot of meth use, you know, you start to develop some sort of nervous habits, like, you know, whether it's pulling the skin, pulling of hair, picking of nails, biting of nails, you know. Didn't get any of that with modafinil. I definitely didn't feel high. I definitely felt alert. Look, at the point in time where I started taking it, it made me feel more normal. That's the key thing that I can remember when I first taken it. It's like, yeah, you know, I feel I feel a bit more like myself right now. Sam sobered up. He got out of rehab and he went back to work, but not the super hectic 72 hours on, 24 hours off schedule of his meth days. He's still on modafinil and he reckons that it plays a pretty important role anchoring his daily routine. Yeah, I take 100 mils every morning. I don't take one in the afternoon, and that's Monday to Friday because, you know, a big part of my recovery process is I'm the kind of guy that really strives well with sobriety when I have a solid routine. When I sway from that, usually I start thinking stupid thoughts. So even though I'm a freelancer, I maintain a nine-to-five structure when I work. And that's where modafinil is really helpful because I take it in the morning and then I smash through the work that I want to get done. Yeah, and then I aim to end at 5 p.m. And that's kind of how it fits within my life is that it fits as like a you know like taking like a vitamin tablet in the morning you know and maybe that's a good place to land for now anyway when it comes to modafinil 
even though anecdote and science suggests that the drugs giving your brain power a boost and helping you stay alert, it's not having a huge effect. Maybe something that is important to say is that the effects of modafinil are not large, so it wouldn't be a huge aha experience. It would not turn anyone into a superhero. In the research studies, the effects are rather small. The one thing that I know that modafinil has definitely provided me is confidence. You know, like there are the physical benefits or the physical effects that modafinil have on you. Of course, I'd say, you know, I feel more alert when I take modafinil, but the thing that it has provided me a lot with is confidence. I guess through my experience of bringing stimulants into my work life, it really diminished my confidence after a while. Modafinil doesn't do that. It makes me feel like I can get what I want to get done. My plan, though, is to not feel like I have to take it for the rest of my life. I have gone through little moments where I haven't taken it, and you know what, and that's mainly because I've either forgotten to or because I need to get another prescription. And those times have been fine. But that's the other thing, like, I don't take it on weekends and I don't take it on holiday. It's not a daily thing. And if I've got a chill day, I don't take it, you know? It's just when I feel like I need it. Modafinil doesn't govern my life, it really helps it. Hey, thanks, Joel. Thank you for having me, Tash. Joel Werner, you have to go and check out and subscribe to his stunning new podcast. It's called Some of All Parts. Just numbers like you've never heard them before. And uh, talk to me on Twitter, at Natasha Mitchell, or head over to the Science Friction website and email me. Thank you to sound engineer Simon Branthwaite. And uh, next week, a different kind of drug, in fact, and a drug trial that went terrifyingly wrong. 